Hello, it's Jack Tutor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Siavash Amini, a musician whose music has been released on Room 40, Hallow Ground, Opal Tapes, Umor Rex, and who has this incredible mastery of conveying those emotional states that fall in the margins between those we can express through language, those really complicated feelings that swirl through various different phases and only really can be conveyed through something as sprawling and shimmering and magnificent as the sounds on Siavash's records. He released an album, Ceres, last year, which was kind of a meditation on the idea of the night and a sort of philosophical dive into the potential meanings of the night. But what it transpires to be, I think, is like a ballet of negative space and notions that fall outside of the light of language and also just the light itself. This stuff has an amazing cinematic sense of narrative, like the way that his sounds flow together has this sense of inevitability and this word sounds off but kind of fate about them like you feel them changing and it's almost as though there's nowhere else for these sounds to go other than the direction in which Siavash is taking them there's such conviction to what he's doing he recently released a collaborative record with Sad called All Lanes of Lilac Evening which as we talk about in this interview, falls towards the calmer, I guess you could say, side of his output. But then there's also an album, like I say, like Cirrus, whose peaks of climactic volume can get really intense and bristle into the edges of pure noise at points. Okay, so we had a wonderful conversation. It was really great to speak to Siavash about his three important albums, He was great company. And if you want to check out his music, go to siavashamini.bandcamp.com or follow him on Twitter at capgrasman. Okay, that's all for now. Oh, and obviously go to attentionmagazine.co.uk forward slash crucial listening for more information on his picks and all those links to his music and Twitter as well. Great, enjoy this conversation. Siavash Amini on Crucial Listening. Siavash, welcome to Crucial Listening. Hi Jack, thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming on the podcast. So I want to talk about three important records that you've brought to the table. Um, Before we get to them, you are 
obviously incredibly prolific there's plenty we can talk about in terms of your recent and upcoming <laughs> projects so uh, i want to start with your latest collaboration that you've released a couple of months back with sad romaine barbo's project mm -hmm. called all lanes of lilac evening I know that you've been in touch with Romaine for a while now and that you've been talking with him and that you listened to his music prior to that point. How did the collaboration first come into being? How did you first get in touch with Romaine and how did that develop into producing a record together? It was like, uh, why the hell we didn't do it sooner? It was like <laughs> one of those conversations. It's like, it seems obvious that we should work together. It's like, <laughs> but yeah, I think it was a Twitter conversation or something that I was like rambling on about collaborating. And he joined the conversation and we talked and said, okay, let's do something. Let's have send some files over and... We did it quite sporadically, actually. Uh, it wasn't like, okay, let's do this album and we do it in like two months or something. It it happened in two years in sporadic times. We had ideas sent and like we didn't contact each other. Everything was like hectic and came back to this project and do something. So that that's why it's... A more gentle and I that gentler actually than the kind of stuff I do mm. so it was like a uh, what I escaped to this one it was because from the start it had a kind of a more of a harmonic and less dissonant vibe so uh, it was my escape this one so and it was about like when we chatted about the ideas, it was about small things, things that happen in our personal private lives in, in like a day or two or something. So I think it shows through the album as well. It's like it's not making a grand statement or anything. Mm. That's really interesting that you've got basically this record being produced over a sp sprawling timescale, but then being drawn from, I guess, quite minute events in both of your lives. It's quite quite a curious paradox there. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned the fact that you and uh, Romain, it was kind of like, well, why haven't we done this up until this point? I mean, what was it, what is it about Romain's work that you, you really connect with and makes him someone that you think, right, I, I want to collaborate with this person? First of all, it was the uh, viscerality of the first, uh, like, first records I heard from them this like huge drones that come to your body and like if you turn up the volume it's like you will be oscillating with the music <laughs> you know so that's kind of my thing as well so <laughs> but yeah. we didn't end up doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that's the one thing I wanted to ask, actually, because I think one of the most fascinating things about these kind of collaborations isn't so much of bringing someone else's energy to what you already do, but seeing what that other person can unlock in yourself. I mean, what was it that Romain's contributions and his part of the collaboration brought out in you? I mean, was there something about what he was bringing to the table that perhaps pushed you in a direction that you wouldn't have perhaps gone in solo yeah i think he's much of a very like super super kind and gentle human being he's he's like 
he's so he has a sensitive ear for stuff and he he even through communication through chats i i feel like a like a you know caveman when i talking to him it's like he's more <laughs> sensitive <laughs> to other stuff and that 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 like calmed me down a lot doing the album so it was really interesting to be uh, actually called a bit yeah, so it's like not uh, an ambient ambience like the the ambience we hear these days, like or the ambient defined by No. I don't think of it that way, but it's like if our musics were calmer and maybe more consonant and less uh, tension based harmonically, so. It's mm. yeah, it's like a slow, gentle, but at some points with a bit of tension. Yeah, it's something like sitting around and looking at something, but not necessarily thinking or contemplating. And you mentioned obviously that this record is is one that was produced collaboratively by passing files backwards and forwards, which I think is always yeah. like such an interesting collaborative process because it's almost got that dual vibe of being a collaborative effort but also granting you the ability to work within your own silo of concentration as well um obviously you've done that with many records in the past this kind of sending files back and forth is that a process that you feel you can get a lot out of that means of collaborating with other people by swapping files yeah, I think it's it's for me. It's kind of a very uh, slow motion. At sometimes, let's pause time, Rick and Morty stuff. But <laughs> it's like uh, it's like let's pause. It's an improvisation uh, at a live performance. But there's like a remotes of Rick and Morty stuff, like pausing time and me getting back to the studio <laughs> to think about stuff and coming back with something that's how slow i am that's like i, I always think i'll die in the streets hit by hitting by a car hit being hit by a car so yeah that that's that's my tempo of doing things <laughs> fantastic i mean as well obviously it's like you know this is as you say a, a few years worth of material all, all in this record yep. uh, once you've been accumulating material over that length of time how easy is it to know when the record's done and that nothing else needs to be added or changed was that an easy decision to come to between you and Romain uh, I think the, there are moments in an album like there's two weeks or three weeks that things get more intense in manner of uh, the time you put in the album and stuff getting together and th there's a click sound going off at some point it's like a click it's done <laughs> you know it's like you know it's like okay i've been up for three weeks mostly working on this album i think it's done yeah <laughs> for the good of everyone the album yeah. is done yeah. <laughs> yeah well um so that record is out on opal tapes i believe is that correct yep fantastic 
um, and people should absolutely check that out. It's wonderful. So another thing you've got on the horizon as well that we were talking about just prior to recording is um, you're appearing as part of Francisco Lopez's exhibition Audiosphere at the National Art Museum in Madrid. So yeah. uh, as I understand, as you've told me, this is going to feature a, 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 an excerpt of your album Gospel with Matt Finney. So yeah, exactly. uh, how is the album going to be presented or how is the album going to feature in this exhibition how much do you know about that i have no clue (laughs) i just (laughs) uh i was uh uh uh, in in the south my father had a heart attack i was in a hospital and i got this email with a contract and it was said okay francis lopez has selected your work for for something it's like something generic generic and uh, my name name of the album at the end of that and say okay it's this piece do you give your consent for it to be streamed in the something like an auditorium or something and wow. i said okay wow first of all where'd you get my email Second of all, <laughs> fantastic <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah uh, it was uh, I, I didn't have time to inquire inquire a lot about it because i was uh doing hospital stuff but yeah i think uh, i said yes because i trust francisco lopez's ear and whatever he does he 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 whatever he touches is gold so absolutely yeah yeah totally agreed so um and another thing that you've got as well in the pipeline is a new record coming out in september so what can you tell me about the new record so far this one has been in the making for the last two years my uh, previous soul albums even Ceres, which came out uh last year in August. They were all done uh, in 2017 and beginning of 2018, so I haven't been doing anything solo. I've been working on this since then, and it's it's a collaboration with a Iranian photographer. She's a fantastic uh, photographer. Her focus has been on weird aspects of Tehran, if I put it in like a very philistine way but if i (laughs) put it in a more sophisticated way it's uh going to capture tehran's moments that are not uh symbolically tehran but are very known to people of tehran and that uh, really caught my attention because i've been collecting a, a lot of field recordings around city and didn't know what to do with them because uh, it was just a collection, and her vision c- gave me the key to what to do with those. So, th- for the past two years, it's been uh, that project. Uh, like it's been a collaboration in a weird way. It's like <laughs> exchanging files again. So <laughs> the <laughs> photographs are done, and um, we were in contact and. I came up with a few recordings and a few tracks, and when we were pleased with it, it was done like in July uh, 2019. So, yeah, that's it's gonna have Tehran as its subject matter, but not the Tehran that you see in the news or so, the things that you uh, like are familiar pictures or sounds of Tehran. It's going to be more weird than that. So I like it. 
that way yeah great and, and do you know how that's going to be presented yet in terms of f format right now we're going to be photo book vinyl but that might change to something else in uh, the vinyl is uh, 100% uh, confirmed but photo book not really but so my change might like it's, it's there's a like a 20% change 20% uh, chance that it will change but I think it's going to be vinyl and photo book brilliant so where's the best place for people to keep posted on what you've got coming including that upcoming record and photo book if it is a photo book as well uh, my Twitter is like more if you want to hear me ramble or get updates it's, <laughs> it's, 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 they come make in a mixed bag so you, have <laughs> you to get both or none right yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice great um, so Vash we should move on to your three important records now one question yep. I like to ask people who come on the podcast is how they arrived at their list of three albums because there are so many different ways that you can slice the term important in order to you know come up with a list of records so how did you i mean was there a particular way that you thought about the term important to come up with a list of three records that you did yeah it was really hard actually it, it was a good thing that you asked me because i never thought about the stuff i listened to in that way in a long long time mm -hmm. and I ended up with 20 records that, like, these are the three records I really like, but there were two of them, so. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So that's a painful so process I, then. Yeah, and I, I was like, okay, that's too much, man. It's like, <laughs> you, you, you gotta marry Kondo your mind or something. So... <laughs> So I, I uh, ended up eliminating discographies, like for example, Scott Walker, I could not arrive at one album after uh, <laughs> Tilt that I could, like, okay, this is the one. No, I, I, I like them all. So, so this is done. We're not going to talk about Scott Walker. And then it will be Mika Vainio got eliminated because it was like, yeah, it's like 10 albums and I love them. And I think they're essential. But I thought, and then I started thinking about it in a different way. Like, uh, what got me into this? And what made the most... Strongest impression on my mind. It's like, what are the, the the albums that I have a lot of things associated with them, as well as the music. An album that uh, was a gateway to something else for me. So, the first one was the Keith Jarrett album. I, I think it's a it's a very weird collaboration. If if we're going to you know start if. Is it okay to start talking about the three or? Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's start with the Keith Jarrett album, Luminescence. So yeah, t tell me yeah. about why that one's important to you. Well, actually, it was the first album that I collected a lot of money to buy what we call in Iran the original, but what you call in the West, like, the album because there are <laughs> bootleg uh, versions of albums everywhere in Iran so you can and there are like photocopied versions of the artwork and uh, they're they're bootlegs but you know they they may they've been uh, made to to look good 
So there's this store that opens up that opened up uh, that had a huge collection of ECM CDs and Deutsche Grammophon CDs, and we were there all the time as high schoolers me and two of my friends there was this guy who had a PhD in musicology and he played all these weird stuff for us and I knew uh, and by coincidence I knew Garbarek's other stuff from I've been <laughs> practicing to say this word from uh, this morning, so <laughs> <laughs> I still can't do it. Nemosin, I think. It's right, Nemosin or something like that. It's it has a silent M in, in, at the uh, so it's it's an album of Garbrecht's and Hilliard ensemble. Uh, it came out in '99 or 2000, I think. Uh, so I knew Garbarek from that album and I loved it. And this guy points me to this. It's like, okay, you're, if you like that, you're going to love this. And I didn't have the money to buy it and there were no bootleg versions. So I had some, like, put some money into it and went to buy this one. And it, the first time I heard it, I just, I remember it when I went to the store, bought, bought it, came back and waited for everyone to sleep and put it on. It was like an alien life form in front of me. It just, <laughs> just started to, you know, take form. It, it, it's still, uh, I had it listen today, still feels like some kind of matter between liquid and metal is forming in front of me. It's like... It, it, this, it gives me this image that's that's something that's a uh, bit slimy and go goes around but it's it, it's a kind of a monolith kind of matter that shines and the the the, the way it's uh, named I think it's perfect luminescence so yeah mm. and that got me into collecting ECM CDs actually and being a bootlegger if you can believe it <laughs> just to have more garbaric and kijarit records i started uh you know trading with people uh downloading low quality mp3 versions from napster and putting a cover on it and selling it as a bootleg <laughs> <laughs> to get money or trading it with something original so yeah that that was a kind of a weird era for me, but uh, it opened a lot of doors for me. I came into uh, all these new uh, composers that like Scandinavian, uh, sorry, it's not Scandinavian, uh, uh, Slav composers we call them, but from the uh, so pre uh, like from the Soviet Soviet Union era. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Like Arupert, Silvestrov, Schnitka, all these composers, uh, uh, Gia Cancelli, all these composers that are associated with ECM New Series. And shaped a lot of things that I do right now. But back to the wow. album. Uh, the album for me, it's it's a very uh, it, it's my kind of thing because it's not classical 
per, like like a academic like it's not, it's not academic it's not it doesn't apl apply the rules of the uh, avant-garde of that time which is like Stockhausen or Boulez or something like that it's pretty melodic and it has at some points tonal centers but it's not minimalist as well so mm. it's like a melted down <laughs> it's like if you slow down the uh, key Jarrett improvisations and slow down but like 800 times <laughs> like <the> YouTube <laughs> videos it's like you slowed them down and told the strings to play them uh, as much as they can so it's a, it's a it's a very strange spot having a, like a, a string section as an accompaniment section uh, and which is not actually an accompaniment section because uh, it has sections with solo violins or solo uh, violas that have very very distinct qualities that are not uh, like an accompaniment and yeah it's more likely that it's just it feels like garbaric listening to a complete piece of music and then adding something to it that shouldn't have been there but it's there <laughs> by but it doesn't make by it's like it doesn't make any sense by any reason that we have a complete string orchestra that has everything and it follows the structure it it has everything that you need and it's complete on its own <laughs> so let's have someone improvise over it with a tenor saxophone <laughs> it's very weird <laughs> I don't know how the recording went. The recording is, sounds amazing, but having the balance between these two should have been a nightmare because it's not a concerto. No. Uh, there, there are, uh, because uh, in concerto, the, the orchestra gives time and space to the solo instrument to do its thing. It's like the, the saxophone is shoved into the <laughs> string section, <laughs> but it sounds perfect, though. It, yeah. it's it's so many paradoxes in there i love it it's, it's that's why i love it it's like so unique and has everything i like it's like weird microtones going around in the second track uh and it has actually today i was thinking it could be conceived of as a the album is could be conceived of the as a three parts uh, composition because you have uh, th uh, motives from the first track come uh, showing themselves in a very stable key because the first track is super unstable mm. it moves around chromatically all the time uh, but uh, it the motives show themselves very in a very static uh, harmony in the last five minutes of the uh, uh, last track, Luminescence. But the funny part, the funny thing is that it ends, you think it's going to end as a three-part composition that has a recapitulation, 
but there's this new theme that's shoved into the last two minutes. It's like, okay, you thought it was it was a three-part classical composition. No, fuck you. <laughs> Here's a new theme that we're not gonna develop. So it's yeah. fantastic. It's fantastic. It's it's a fuck you to everybody. I think jazz fans hated it. Like. Classical fans hated it. It's like for the heck of it. It's ECM. We have fantastic string players. We have fantastic engineers, and we have the time, and we have young Garbarek. So let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So you mentioned hearing it. I mean, the way you've described it there as well. It's obviously it's like a a challenging listen and certainly when i put it on i was like what the hell is this i think what the 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 the, the origin of you buying the record and the way you describe it is very interesting because you know you mentioned the fact that you um gather the money together in order to buy this record and then put it on uh, and this is something that came up with uh, a friend of mine recently where you know back at a time where money was a, a more of a barrier to entry for listening to music experiences as soon as you've got that sunk cost the desire to really connect with a record is heightened because you're like look if i don't like this or i'm not into this i've got to go all the way back to the record store and hope that they exchange it or you know i've put however much money into this so i need to really give this my time do you think that your connection with this record comes from having like the additional investment of putting money down you know putting your chips on the table and being like right i've put money into this i better like it yeah, it's it's not about the money, but it's about the hardship. I think. Right. It's you remember how hard you tried to get this, and uh, <laughs> usually it's uh, for me, it's uh, for me ECM was very very attractive because it had this all these beautiful photographs on the art as the artworks, but this album particularly was on this array of young Garbarek album that he, he this guy had on on a shelf had nothing on it it was just like some big <laughs> ugly font on it <laughs> and it's like i got to know i have to know what this is <laughs> so yeah i think the, the, the experience of uh struggling for days to buy something or not or just to see if it's good en- uh, enough or not i think it at least makes makes you listen uh more appreciatively so yeah i think i think uh, it plays a role it's it seems like it's the sort of the, the phase that you're taking it seriously Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's all I got. This money is all I got. Right. So let's put it in the, into something that I would listen to that nobody would. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it sets a strong precedent for your relationship with that record, right? Yeah. So I, yeah. I choose you. Right. We're going through this together. Um, exactly. And has your... So so you were talking about this leading into getting a bit into Napster and stuff. So, I mean, what year are we talking that you discovered Luminescence? Let's see. I was 16 or 15. I was in the uh, between uh, 
second grade and third grade of high school. So I was like 15 or 16. Would okay. have been 2002. Okay. 2001 or two. Yeah. Wow. So this record's been with you for, you know, 18, 19 years. Um, how has your relationship with this record as a listener changed over time? Do you feel like you understand it differently now? Yep. Uh, I was really intimidated by it at some point. I couldn't put it on. It's like when I put it on, like <laughs> I got really, really anxious. So I couldn't listen through with it. Uh, but... Uh, I'm more calm now and I've accepted that this is a really crazy piece of music that I never get to write and never get (laughs) to understand fully and just I'm just enjoying it like the first time. It's it's like living with your demons or something. (laughs) Right? Yes. I I, I figure that that's a, a resignation that definitely occurs when you start confronting an exploratory music or art or film. I mean, film for one, film is one for me where I had to, at a certain point, understand that there were certain types of cinema that I wasn't going to get all the answers from and I was never meant to. And I had to learn to be okay with that uh, and then view that as an opportunity to have different experiences in cinema. You know what I mean? And it's the same with like certain records where you're like... I don't need to be standing on the same plane as this person and knowing what they're going through or what they're trying to do, but I can still gawk at the plane from afar and be like, wow, look at that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's really weird because uh, at some of these stuff that you talk about and I've talked about, especially the ones that we uh, come in contact with early on, they don't have a lot of following or like i i can't find anyone that like this likes this album right it's it's <laughs> weird it has a lower uh, rating in all music than Ceres. and it's it breaks my heart it's like that album is not good this is fucking fantastic how is that happening <laughs> Gene Saris is in your is in your record yeah yeah <laughs> it's weird it's really weird <laughs> Jimmy Jimmy you don't think your record Saris is good not that good it's like <laughs> <laughs> One and a half stars over Luminescence. So what am I doing right now? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, again, that's something that um, I think is really interesting, isn't it? When, when uh, particularly now, because like there seems to be quite a weight given to critical consensus, like you've got stuff like Metacritic, where you can see exactly what the reviews are averaging out as. Yeah. Um, feels like you really need to like uh i I felt i need to steal myself like if i like something then i shouldn't feel doubt be thrown my way by the fact that no one else does like it doesn't make me crazy you know (laughs) it can feel easy to feel like that you know where it's like everyone hates this what so what am i connecting (laughs) with then if no one else likes this it's weird yeah yeah it's it, it wasn't around when we were doing this so it was 
being into obscure stuff was like that have you listened to this and you right, gotta convince yeah. your friend to like it <laughs> but right now your friends googles and they say ah, i'm not gonna bother <laughs> go fuck yourself <laughs> pitchfork said it was bad Let's uh, let's go to your second record, Siavash. Uh, so um, I'll let you pick whichever one you please, and tell me a bit about why it's important. Let's go with the Schnitke. So I told you that uh, these uh, ECM new series got me into a lot of uh, Russian composers, like Soviet composers, not Russian per se, but they were in the Soviet territory mm. at the time. They were uh, composing a lot of this stuff until the. Uh, the collapse of the uh, Soviet Union but uh, it got me into a headspace that a lot of times uh, I think that at the time I was studying to go to the university to study classical music uh, from the end of high school to the first years of university and uh, for me, coming on uh, to these kind of musics was not uh, what I hated when I uh, found out about this scene of ambient and drone stuff. What I hated about most in this scene is that they thought this was ambient or something like that. Uh, right. <laughs> like, oh, Robert, it's, it's not ambient, dude. It's, it's not. It's, it's, it's not. <laughs> it, it sounds like it's like it's gentle and quiet, but it's not ambient. Like let's not let's not be so superficial. Uh, right. The, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, the depth that these composers went to, into their minds, into their knowledge, in, uh, and uh, into their faith, to capture something that's very at some point uh, sublime some points uncanny they're not afraid of exploring deep and deep and deep and what they found was this solemn quietness I think it's like mm. there's, this, there's this negative space around their music which I think comes from a knowing them from a religious perspective is very very intentional to yes. like leaving a space for the divine to come in i'm not religious but i understand their thesis but one composer struck me as very different from all of them although he was friend with them and he wrote about them and worked with them was uh, alfred schnitke which challenged uh the Western conceptions of their music, 
what like a German music, uh, a German might think of a Baroque music. Right. He challenged it through a very, very unique vision. And uh, that's what I, 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 that one of the things that I really find interesting about a composer being in conflict with a, with, with, with a certain history, whatever it might be. And he, as well, uh, he continued to be deep and uh, introspective and all the, he had all the traits of a religious composer. But at the same time, he couldn't let go of all the things he knew as a classical academic composer. Mm. which he knew a lot about. He's very fluent in every style of writing. And for me, it was uh, uh, him that gave me an escape from this all this ambient crap. Because uh, he had this very gentle chord and like the underneath it is like this cluster of bass that's disturbing it uh, these juxtapositions he 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 does it masterfully I, i've yeah. never seen in, the, in 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 the 20th century i haven't heard a composer doing it so well and that's what i like I, that's what i like to do but i fail mostly at it it takes a lot of courage and skill, and I have a courage, but I don't have the skill. <laughs> <laughs> so this one, me, uh, Nima Ariani, who uh, from 90 Antiope, whom I collaborate a lot with, he played string, uh, string instruments on a lot of my albums, and Puya Puramin, which same goes for him he's not in 90 Antiope but we we collaborate a lot and we used to hang out a lot when Nima was in Iran and I didn't know the Requiem and it's not one of his better known works everybody knows he has a Requiem but it's a weird 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 Requiem if you've listened to it uh, uh I don't know how much deep you got into researching the album, but uh, it doesn't function as a requiem. If it's liturgical, there, there are text missings. And the instrumentation is super odd. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, we were listening to uh this uh we were listening to uh piano concerto and they were talking about how they played it nima and puya in, in a concert hall in tehran and after that puya recently came from france and he bought this city and he played it and i was like what the hell just happened <laughs> it was one of those moments maybe i was too drunk and too stoned i don't know <laughs> but it hit me hard it's like melting oral parts in a pan <laughs> at some point it's like all those beautiful <laughs> harmonies and parallel thirds and like it's like it's just melting and rolling over all over each other but then again taking shape and crystallize and everything so yeah that was the first encounter 
but let's see what you think and let's move the conversation somewhere my mind isn't <laughs> to no, see what happens wonderful uh, I'm, so the i think the the version of this disc that uh you referenced when you sent the email over to me to say this is my third choice i think does it also include a grecky 30 minute grecky yeah. piece at the end is that right yeah so so tell me about your connection with that if there is any there's none uh, i wow <laughs> i think it's one of his worst pieces it's like these classical it's like when you're talking about albums about like in classical music because there were sh- they were bound to cds or vinyl or whatever they just write them as they are not thinking about mostly mostly they think about stage performance when they're written so i think <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> there were some a bit short on the album side the swedish choir so they shoved it in there <laughs> <laughs> There there are some connections, like remote connections, because uh, they have a political undertone and uh, they were both, I think, uh, written in times that religious music was banned or wasn't received with such high enthusiasm. But mm. yeah, f- for me, it's like one of the most bland pieces that Goreski ever wrote. Uh, f- I love him. Uh, I-, I really like his string quartets, but and symphonies. But after n- and he has a, a Clavecin symphony uh, concerto that's really nice. But other than that, this one I found really bland and really not well composed at all. Wow. So it's it's there. Yes, it's <laughs> there. The it exists, but maybe it should. Yeah, I just uh, <laughs> like there's this. Um, I just usually fell asleep uh, during that, and there's this domina, domina, domina at the end, and like I wake up at that. So <laughs> that's my impression of the album. <laughs> I mean, it is like there's definitely a, a a a shift that takes place in terms of when I was listening to this um yeah. so I, I i mean for me that schnitka piece there are so many points where i got this listening to it these jolts of just i don't know if it's confusion or or what but just completely not expecting say whether it was an yeah. instrumental choice or i mean at one point i think there's just the point where uh, you know th- I, this may happen more than once but there's one in particular that i remember where a drum kit just starts playing like quite a yep. conventional yep. beat and i was yeah, like exactly. as my phone just started playing another record over the the top or it <laughs> felt like such a, 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 a peculiar thing but then as soon as I sort of got over the fact that I was hearing a drum kit that the combination just felt really powerful. Um, yeah. I mean, are, are there moments on this release that protrude for you as moments where you're just, I don't know, struck by the decisions that have been made, whether instrumentally or tonally, like anything in particular that really comes out at you? Instrumentally, it's really weird because it's actually a jazz ensemble and a choir. Right. <laughs> it, it has electric bass, electric guitar, Celeste, uh, 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 Celeste, and I think it 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 has trum- trumpet and trombone. I don't remember the vibraphone, but it has Celeste. I definitely right. know it has Celeste. So it's a weird, weird combination. 
Yeah. What the hell is happening there? <laughs> But I have my own theories. I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really, really Because peculiar. It's, it's odd. He is the master of these oddities, and like, uh, the thing is, uh, I don't know if you uh, had the booklets or not. Did you see any uh, the the text in the booklet of the album? No, no, I didn't. Okay, it it says that it's from a play. Uh, it's uh, it's a music for a play actually. Right. Called, uh, it, it's a play by Schiller con called. Don, Don Carlos. It's a political play about overthrowing tyranny and stuff like that. But the guy is in love with his stepmother, so I'm not gonna get into that. But let's <laughs> just say it's like political. <laughs> and the thing is, they couldn't play like they couldn't write a requiem on on its in itself at that time in Soviet Union. So he snuck it in as the music for the Don Carlos. I have no idea what was happening in that play that they needed a complete requiem. Uh. But but <laughs> it's shorter than usual requiems. It doesn't have some of the parts. So th that's that's and it's. I read that it's based on a few p uh, piano quintet uh, sketches that he had after death of his mother. And he was deeply right. religious, so yeah, uh, it got into that. But the the choice of the ensemble, I think it comes from being uh, part of the agreed upon band, actually, for a incidental music for a theater play, or a, it's just like a, or a bit of a, like a surf band or something right. with some jazz mixed in. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, like, um, there's this thing that sounds so much like a, the, the bass line sounds so much like a Black Sabbath bass line. I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's like it sounds very heavy metal, the bass line he yeah. plays. I think it's, I think it's from, yeah, it's from the Sanctus. The Sanctus at some point drops in this very weird three note figure with the bass line that's reminds me a lot, uh, a lot like uh, uh, one of the Black Sabbath tracks so yeah wow. it's, it's, it, it has some elements of that uh, film music or 3D music of that time but it snuck in the Requiem I think it's very nice and cheeky and uh, it's weird but it, it has very weird psychoanalytical points that it's weird that he uh, snuck in uh, like a, a requiem for his mother in a play that some guy is, love in, is in love with his stepmother it's weird right. <laughs> I yeah. get it <laughs> yeah but that is yeah. weird <laughs> well, it's interesting that, uh, I mean, the fact that you've enlightened me to the context that it hinges on a play, I think yeah. is really fascinating because, and I don't know whether this is the case that this played into the composition at all, but when you've got something which is designed, I guess, to follow the twists and turn of, of, of a narrative, suddenly all those unusual decisions 
I can I can see them having a basis in some kind of narrative term within the play. Uh, I mean, exactly. I think of like when you know Scott Walker when he does his stuff on the drift where there's a story there and so some of the sonic decisions feel weird in isolation of the story but as soon as you know there's a story underpinning it you're like oh that's why a guy is punching a side of meat like that makes sense now exactly yeah so i i think it's 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 a really interesting record because it's one of those times this guy like doesn't give a damn what he juxtaposes with like his he has symphonies that like second symphonies like Gregorian chant and Mollerian uh, orchestras going uh, into like every possible combination of harmonies or styles all together in a one-hour symphony. So th- this guy is the master of these juxtapositions, and that's why I like it. It's like the, the thread I got with the previous records. Like it's so odd and it works. Yeah. It, it, it he follows some rules but breaks some others, and finds this very weird spot that everything works together, and it makes it unique. I think. Well, let's go to your final record now. So tell me uh, uh, what it is first and then also a bit about why it's important to you as well, Siavash. Yeah, uh, for me, uh, the uh, other label that was so important in shaping the sound I have since Tar, I, uh, you, maybe since uh, subsiding at some points, but mostly since Tar, uh, is uh, getting deep into the Editions Mego uh, catalog. Mm. And for me, to uh, if I'm going to get convinced that label has something to offer, is like one or two records that really hit me hard. And this one was one of them. And I'm really... It's, it's for the, fir- the first time I listened to it, because on the... Uh, CD at the back of the CD it says crank it up <laughs> uh, so I cranked it up <laughs> and man I was in for a treat <laughs> because I, 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 I've <laughs> I've I've listened to uh, Merzbaugh and Masana and uh, like Japanese a lot and it pays tribute to Merzbaugh at some points but this record is so evil I'm, and I'm saying it with all my heart and body it's evil to, to this day I, 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 I'm, I'm afraid to look up Kevin Drum interview because uh, I, I think that like this guy is capable of some weird shit <laughs> or at least he knows something <laughs> 
it's like in, in those uh, like uh, moments in Twin Peaks that you open the wrong door and all hell broke loose and yes. you meet Ju- Judy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's thing. That's that door. It's like that's what happens when you open that door. It's like play, like playing that album from start to finish, and what it uh, it sets apart from uh, Merzbau or Masana or MSBR or all all these people I knew before that that didn't really interest me that much is the pacing. They are full of pulsations from the start, and they will kick you in the face and like pull the carpet, pull the rug under you. But but this this one, this is just like it's it's, it's slowly paced. Especially the version that Imego put put out, not the Mego. It has impotent Hummer as the beginning track uh, yes, because it has yes. two versions. Yeah. The one with important. The, the other version. It the important Hummer is isn't in the Mego version. I haven't heard that one because this one ah. is remastered. The E Mego version. Right. So yeah, I don't know about that, but this one, it takes you in slowly. There are no pul- that that much pulsations. But at some point, you see that there's this very, very slow pulse of feedback that's kind of mesmerizing you. And like mm. It's like rocking your body back and forth, but not that much, with that, not that much speed. It kind of tricks you into a stable, maybe steady progression. And then it starts hitting you in the face at Inferno. And yes. the, I, the, when, the first time I listened to it, when it was finished, I couldn't stand up for half an hour. I'm not joking. <laughs> it had, uh, my ears were ringing. My chest felt like something was pushed on it. And wow. It was like, okay, th- 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 that's it. That That's... That's it. That's what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I I want to quit like so, so that experience. I I want to know more about that that listening experience right there. So yeah, what were you? Did you have it over speakers, headphones? I think I've never listened to this in in headphones. Always speakers and really loud. Nice. Yeah, today I had to apologize to my girlfriend. Like, okay, I'm going to place a, an album that's going to be very loud. Sorry in advance. I have an interview coming up. <laughs> yeah, you can blame me. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> because uh, all these albums, I don't re- really listen to them on a regular basis because I think they lose something if you listen to them. A mm-hmm. lot for me, they lose something. I, I I listen to them once or twice a year to get to to see where I am with them uh, mentally. But yeah, so every year is something else. But I've never listened to this on headphones, and I think it might lose something when you listen to it in headphones. Yeah, because the the low resonances like go right through your chest and yeah that that that's gonna be missed on the headphones 
I mean, it feels like a body record. I think the the you know the titles of the tracks when you have like Impotent Hammer and it's hitting the pavement. Like there's a, I feel that there's like this very there's like, like this gravity doubling like pushing down like a slow like you mentioned about well what you said about impotent hammer was perfect the way that it slowly ramps up um for me when i hear impotent hammer i think of instead of just something thwacking you it's just something that's being pressed against you and then just gradually like push down and down with increasing force instead um exactly that's what yeah. it's felt like listening to this record for me like and it's so so interesting when you say the references to all the japanese stuff that come out later i absolutely adore just the level of restraint that's employed in order to not get to that point until about half an hour into the into the record before any of that stuff comes out you know and you see like it's one of those albums again like the uh, uh luminescence it doesn't have any pictures on it and it says uh kevin drum plays a shit ton of things like uh, synthesizers guitars and stuff and there's actually a trumpet player oh really in the album yeah <laughs> there's a trumpet player at inferno <laughs> So, yeah, find the trumpet player if you can. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's harder than Where's Waldo? It's like, right. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Where's this guy? <laughs> Man, that's amazing. Yeah. So, uh, when yeah. you say, so you, so, so you check in with these records, like, once or twice a year, you say, just to see where you are with them mentally. Yeah. Um, sounded like you had obviously a, a very profound experience with this record to begin with. You listened to it today. Yeah. Where are you with it mentally today compared with previous times that you've listened to the record? I think I have to like make take some parts of it out and then analyze it in a more. Uh, I'm sorry to do that, but I have to know how. What are those frequencies? I couldn't. I didn't know my uh, speakers were capable of making that sound right so i'm, I'm gonna like chop it up and see what's going on there and uh, analyze it with spectrum or something so let's see what's going on what what are those because it's it's at any point you see okay my speakers are gonna blow up but these genelic speakers have these uh lights that go red if something is too yes. loud yes and this this sounds like louder than anything i've listened to in these speakers and still at a normal level it's it's wow. really fucking weird all these Whoa. resonances play with your mind yes like so i have to like dig deeper in that <laughs> yeah 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 it'd be good to know the secret there maybe i see the trumpet player at the back <laughs> 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 that's when you know you've got a handle on this record yeah yeah, yeah it's like it, it could be something like someone going to a record store and saying that okay analog synthesizers guitars and a trumpet okay that's gonna be a cool record and like pull it, yeah. putting it on and like being yeah, smashed yeah. in the face yeah <laughs> yeah but you could think oh i guess this is a kind of a maybe electronic era miles davis or something with that, you exactly, know, that lineup yeah. of instruments, yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> I mean, Ke Kevin is a, a prolific 
maker of music i mean um it's a, a, a very blunt term but you know to say he's a noise noise musician but he's also noisy in terms of quantity of music that he puts out like there's yeah. a, a, a level of excess like if you go on his band camp having not had much experience with him you're just suddenly slammed with all these releases i mean is there anything yeah. else in his catalog or other releases in his catalog that that speak to you at all i, I don't know if they do the same level of sheer hellish miasma but anything else there that appeals to you not the noisier stuff but uh, for example the other end of this extreme was trouble i was have you listened to it so interesting that's the other the only other record that i listened to of, of his today was trouble yeah it's amazing it's like okay i i'm gonna fuck with your mind no matter how how loud the record you know (laughs) (laughs) it's like he he's he's good at this he's he's good at like annoying people to death (laughs) i think (laughs) yeah yeah but but that's another one that i think in certain contexts uh could be misread within the context of say ambient but then that term again uh wrongly or rightly carries uh connotations of say like passivity or accommodating the listener in quite a congruent and quite a polite way whereas that's not the effect of trouble at all like quietness doesn't equal platitude you know um because i think there's this uh oh i'm gonna say a a word that i'm not supposed to but i'm gonna say it anyway Uh, there's You're this, uh, uh, something ontologically wrong with the definition of ambient mm. that it supposes that the composer writes the ambient music but the way we're consuming music everything could be ambient right you know it's it's on part of the listening habit not right. uh, like i was listening to uh a dance record and it got me very relaxed and in a good mood and uh the the, all the things that brian inno talks about and it was just a certain level at a certain distance and you know it's it it really relates to more i think the way the music is consumed and ev- yes. everything can be ambient. Like th- th- that's the whole joke about it that I can make ambient out of a Tool record or out of a, like a the, I don't know Napalm Death record. Uh, it's not <laughs> that those records are ambient. Is that what you're doing to them is putting you in a certain mood, and what you're how you're approaching them. It's putting your certain mood. So it's a state of mind, not necessarily a method for composition or method right. for analysis f- more than that. Yes. So I, I have this problem with it. That's that's why you cannot uh, take it apart. Like I cannot say to these ambient guys that our report is not ambient because it's religious music made for a some with a certain intention. Yes, you can uh, distance the work from the author. There, there are fallacies involved, but again, there are methods to analyze this that yes. are not uh, specific to that kind of music. That three simple rules. Maybe it's it's it was a like a sketch for a 
how generative music could work, uh, like how you can train a machine to generate something for you to listen to, but not more than that, I think. It's interesting you say the, the, the way that we listen to music now means that anything could be ambient. I mean, it, do you think, maybe this is an obvious question, uh, but do you think that there is something about the means by which we, generally speaking, as a broad culture in the broadest sense, listen to music that has shifted perhaps our level of engagement or level of concentration i mean is, do, is is there anything that you feel in that regard that you know our listening culture has changed so that ambient listening has become more prominent yeah i think it's it's a really western thing for us mm. in iran or for other eastern cultures being bored or just sitting still doesn't mean anything like to right now like uh, if if you're confronted with something that's very static you don't necessarily think that th this can accompany my production time this in itself is a work right you see uh, contemplating boredom is a work and a necessary work for your mind to grow at least for us it's like imagine like uh, Bellatar wants you bored out of your mind <laughs> for, yeah. for a specific reason yeah he, he wants that he wants you to feel that fucking boredom yes and to confuse this with why uh, people who have long sh uh, you know uh, long movies with slow shots they're not the same there's an intention that's there's a there's something being conveyed that's getting lost in the uh this whole discourse that if something isn't grabbing my attention right now it's background right yes it, yeah, it, it doesn't work that way. It, the trouble is the an antithesis to that. It's like, yeah, try and find me, bitch. <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that absolutely. And I, I wonder whether that's perhaps to do with, and I, I think I've spoken about this on this podcast before, but like the. Our interaction with streaming services, for example, is as yep. such that they are seen to be, I mean, they're services, right? So that they are designed to yep. fulfill a need for stimulation. And, you know, you get playlists yep. with titles like music to do the ironing to or, you know, whatever. So there's a design yep. that there's this, this, this precedent that's set that they have, they fulfill a function and you know boredom as a sensation does not feature on the palette in fact it's the antithesis of what maybe this music is supposed to do if it's perceived to be like a function it would be like if you popped on your yeah. central heating and it froze the house out you know it's it's yeah that kind of thing um so maybe exactly. that's why this sensation of boredom is maybe been disregarded it's so interesting you bring up bellatar like i need to rewatch his stuff it's so good <laughs> yeah 
because uh, productivity in a certain sense has given has been given too much value and uh, everything is curated because they, they it's a it's a really good marketing scheme if you look at it because they have this huge huge amount of music and they don't know what to do with it so let's <laughs> make it into things that people can do stuff to and better at being being better at them so people who suck at these really menial tasks that they shouldn't be doing get attracted to those and pay money for premium accounts or whatever or listen to ads it's it's a very really sad cycle right it's invented invented and it that's why you 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 hear debussy as uh you know uh ambient music that can be played in the background people sat in auditoriums waited in lines to hear that for one time in their lives <laughs> and now you're just there's a picture of the wave and the slammer and like yeah let's <laughs> let's relax to this and talk about i don't know marketing strategies <laughs> <laughs> so on the on the opposite end of the spectrum if you get a record and you really want to listen to a record and in, but, but, but experience it to its like optimal level do you have a setup where you are or a place you go or, or or whatever to really listen to a record it sounds like maybe it's your um general X speakers that you're talking about there yeah it's there because i work from home i do sound design work and i do uh music composition work for commercial users and i do my music at, they're all done at the same desk so right. <laughs> I'm usually bound to this desk uh, all day. <laughs> so yeah, uh, for me, it's close the door, shut the curtains, and just listen. Just listen. Closed eyes, phone off, stuff like that. So if I can't concentrate because of anxiety or whatever or whatever, I just put it off the, I, I think even observing my friends who are really good musicians they don't have t- room for a lot of silence in their lives and for me silence is necessary if I cannot focus on what I'm listening I just don't listen hmm. it's it doesn't work for me yeah I I just turn it off silence works for me but uh, yeah I just sit behind a desk and these two genetic monitors that I'm that that they're everything that I have actually so yeah Sihabash, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. This has been really awesome to go through these records and to also speak about 
your current stuff as well. I've had a good time. Likewise, likewise. It was really nice to talk to you too and be on, on the show. I, I really like it. So yeah, happy to be among the many guests. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to remind people as well, if, if they want to keep posted on what you're doing, um, whether it's at that second or in terms of projects coming up or just gone by, that's your Twitter account. It's a place to go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Great. Well, thank you once again, Siavash, and uh, to everyone listening, I'll see you next time. Thank you very much. Bye.